was telling Mr. Joe before church, you know, we're really blessed to have children in our church who really can just sing. Ava didn't even practice that with us. She just said, I can do it and did it. And gosh, y'all give it. Didn't Ava do a wonderful job? And all of our kids, I don't know if y'all could. And Bennett and Allie were signing too. I didn't think. I should have put them out front and stay right behind me. But it's so cool to have kids um, in our church who are just so worshipful already. Um, and we sang that to prepare our hearts for um, communion this morning. That we'll take later. So if you'll stand with us, we're going to also sing How Great Is Our God together.
you and lift up your name, God. Lord, thank you for the reminder of just how great you are, Lord. Great in your faithfulness. Great in your sacrifice. Great in your unconditional love, Lord. It's a love that never fails and never runs out on us, God. And Lord, as we open our hearts for this message that you've prepared for us through Neil, Lord, I just pray that it finds a lodging place in our heart, God, mm. and that we'll be reminded of just how sweet the gospel is and not just how sweet of a story it is, God, but what a sweet truth it is in our life that should um, demand our consciousness every day to live out what it proclaims for us to do, Lord. God, you are so great, and we just pray that you continue to move in this service, Lord. Um, and just remind us through the Lord's Supper today of the sacrifice that was offered to us, God. And Lord, if there's anybody who's never fully believed in that sacrifice and accepted that free gift of salvation, Lord, we pray that today will be their day of salvation. We just love you and praise you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Children are dismissed in the back to Children's Church. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 7. We've already spent two weeks in this chapter, and this should be the concluding message in, in the chapter. As today we see how Paul displays the treasure of the gospel. So right off the bat, we need to ask ourselves, do you treasure the good news? Do you treasure Christ? Do you value Him? Do you love Him? Do you cling to Him by faith and have denounced in yourself any self-reliance on your own goodness your own self-righteousness, our own schemes of justifying ourselves or defending ourselves or meriting or earning any favor on our own apart from Christ before God. Last week we saw that faith in Christ was a great gift, the greatest gift of all. And so this morning we'll continue our study. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, and admittedly and intentionally... I'm going to preach this text with a view toward the Lord's Supper because that's where we're going. So let's think about his uh, broken body and his shed blood and how what Christ did for us demonstrates and illustrates a lot that we're going to talk about this morning in our text. Paul says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Jars of clay, that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also 
may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, Paul says, death works in us, but life in you. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and he quotes in verse 13 from the Old Testament, from a psalm, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal... But the things which are not seen are eternal. Father, thank you for your word which allows us as we gaze into your word this morning to see what is truly valuable and what is eternal. And has already been prayed, open up our hearts and minds to receive this word, to believe it, and then give us out in daily life the strength and courage to put it into practice as a light and witness to others, and as a joy and an expression of gratitude for ourselves toward you for what great things you have done. You are a great and mighty and awesome God, and thank you for turning our hearts and our minds to be attentive to you this morning and the time that we have together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. A few observations this morning from one of my favorite passages of Scripture. Focusing in on verse 7, Paul says we have a treasure. That treasure is the gospel, the good news. It's Christ. A treasure is something that, which is valuable and expensive and priceless. A treasure is valuable and expensive and priceless. I think I saw a good image of, of, of this word earlier this week when I visited in the hospital Jennifer and Joseph Key and their newborn baby girl. We had heard Wednesday night that upon her birth she had had some difficulties breathing. She was placed in the ICU in Tanner. And so when I went by to visit them and pray with them, I walked in, and there was Jennifer with her precious, priceless baby girl resting right here. And you've seen the image. You've felt the image. You've been there in your own personal life and experience. She was treasuring that life and that moment with her child and her husband. Paul treasures the gospel because he knows that it is the great good news related not only to himself, but to everything else around him. What's interesting is that God in his providence and wisdom 
has chosen to place the treasure of the gospel in earthen vessels like you and me. So the glory is the treasure, and we are, in a sense, beside the point. An earthen vessel and a jar of clay is something which is fragile. It's inferior. It's expendable. It's ordinary. It is of essentially no enduring value, and it's easily replaceable. And I don't want to push the analogy too far, because I truly believe the gospel proves that we do have enduring value. One commentator says, what the earthen vessel contains is the only thing that gives it importance. I agree with that statement to a degree, but the very fact that we have the treasure in gives us a sense of worth and importance because of the value of what's inside of us. Have any of you ever been given a check inside an envelope? Marsha Harper, our church secretary, paid me for the month earlier this week. She had a check inside an envelope. I treasured the check and put it in my <laughs> wallet. I don't know what I did with the envelope. <laughs> and I don't know that it even matters. But it's almost like God has placed within us the envelopes, the treasure of the gospel. And so it's very interesting that in the wisdom and providence of God, he's chosen to display his glory and his goodness and his love and his grace in broken earthen vessels like you and me. We are the container, and he is the gift inside. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power might be of God and not from ourselves. The interesting thing is that the treasure within us is transforming. I know the check didn't affect the envelope at all. But the mother holding the treasure of the newborn child that newborn child changed, ev changes everything about the life of the parent. That treasure is transforming. In the same way, the gospel transforms us. Not only does the gospel of Jesus save us, but he changes us. I want us to think about some of these changes that Paul works out in this text. Here's my first main observation. God has displayed his power through the death and life of Jesus. But then he continually displays this in the fragile lives of those who have the gospel. In other words, what Paul does is he looks back at the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, and as he looks back at how God displayed himself and his power in the dying of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus, Paul learns something about his own sufferings and afflictions. In other words, God did something in Jesus that is currently being displayed in the life of the believer. And if you and I will look back to Christ... 
and to his broken body and his shed blood and look back to Christ that on the third day God raised him gloriously from the dead, we will learn something about what we go through now as his disciples. We're jars of clay. And so Paul says this about his own life and by implication about the life of every believer. What does he say in verse 8, 9, and 10? We are afflicted in every way. You know what affliction is. It's, it's the daily grind. It's the, the brutality of life that we, that we face. Uh, in Sunday school this morning, I, I was just amazed of the prayer requests that came from us, things that as a group we didn't know had gone on in the lives of other people during the week. And that's just one Sunday, one example and we were all stunned and amazed at times by the tragedy of what people go through on a daily and weekly basis. Perplexed, persecuted, struck down, caring about in your body the dying of Jesus. So what Paul does is he makes a connection with his union with Christ. And he says this. God is reenacting, God is displaying the gospel of Jesus in every believer's life. And if you are united to him in the dying and the suffering and the crucifixion part, the good news is that you're also united to him in the living and the power and the resurrection part. So let me reread this, okay, in a way that I think Paul would have for us to reread it. Because of what he says in verse 10. These jars of clay, these fragile vessels that we are, we're always caring about in our bodies the dying of Jesus. And this is, listen, this is spiritual and supernatural and beyond our ability fully to communicate it or wrap our minds around it in understanding. We always carry in our body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can also shine through in our bodies. Well, that's the good news. Jesus died for us and he was raised for us. So the drama of the gospel is being replayed in the life of every believer so that others could come to know the power and the grace and the love of God. He says in verse 11, we're constantly being delivered over to death for his sake. So that what Jesus did could be known and magnified and glorified. So, so let me get back to what I said I would do. Let me reread this. Think about Jesus. He was afflicted. Was he not? Absolutely. He was afflicted. He was pierced and wounded for our sins. But he was not crushed. And what Paul means by that is Christ was, was severely afflicted, but he wasn't ultimately left in that state he wasn't ultimately crushed but he he was raised glorious gloriously and powerfully from the dead he was perplexed you hear Jesus saying from the cross my God my God why hast thou forsaken me see him in the garden of Gethsemane father if there's any other way but he was not despairing because from the cross he also said father into thy hands I commit my spirit. He was persecuted. 
but not ultimately and utterly abandoned, even though the father did forsake him and turned away momentarily. But, but, but God's faithful plan was still seen through, and on the third day he arose. The life of Jesus was manifested by the justice and the power and the grace of God. He was struck down. They pierced his side with a sword. The Bible says, out comes blood and water, but he was not ultimately destroyed. So Paul says, now we too are afflicted, but we're not crushed. We are daily perplexed, but we're not despairing. We are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. My now, in affliction, perplexion, persecution, and being struck down, also needs to be seen in light of my future And my future is in Christ. So here's the good news. If you have been united to him in death, you are going to be united to him in resurrection. And this is what God is continually displaying in my life and your life. God revealed his infinite power and he continues to reveal it in the life of his disciples. And the utter difference between us and the unbeliever is our union with Christ. Listen, lost people, saved people, Christians, non-Christians, we're all afflicted. We're all perplexed. We're all persecuted. We're all struck down. The difference for the believer is that united to Christ, we have eternal life, and we are not going to be crushed. We're not going to be despairing. We're not going to be abandoned. We're not going to be destroyed because God took care of all of that in his Son. And now we have the gift of life, In Jesus. So you see how the treasure of the gospel affects the vessel in which the treasure remains. The gospel makes a difference in how we see our daily lives and the afflictions and the perplexions and the persecutions and the daily striking downs that we face emotionally, physically, financially, and what we are not going to be destroyed because our God is never going to leave us and he's never going to forsake us. How do you know that? Because I see what God did in his only begotten son. This is something that's constantly taking place. In verse 11, it's for the sake of Jesus. In verse 12, it's for the sake of other people. And in verse 15, it is for your sake. It's for your ultimate good. So God, why are you functioning this way? He's doing it for Jesus, to show people what it's like to be in Christ. And so as you're suffering and as you go through difficulty, one of the things you ought to say to yourself is this. You know what? It's been a tough week. And this week I've been perplexed and afflicted and things have come my way that I didn't see coming. But you know what? I'm experiencing just a tiny bit of what Jesus experienced in a, in a much more, in a much bigger way, in a much greater way, in a much more infinite way on the cross for you and me. And if he did that, then I know that he's going to empower me to do this. For his sake, Paul says, for the sake of others, look at verse 12. Paul said, the death is at work in me. Remember when I called the Apostle Paul kind of a walking death? Well, one of the reasons that he looked like death warmed over at times was so that the Corinthians could look at what was going on in Paul and be strengthened in their own faith. 
So Paul admits. You know, one commentator said, Paul would hardly serve as an attractive endorsement for the advantages of being a Christian. Paul looked like no elite, untouchable apostle. He looked like a jar of clay. A dirty old tattered envelope. And Paul says, the reason this is going on in me is so that life can take place in you. But Paul is not feeling sorry for himself because he knows that God is just and good and that God is going to be productive in his own life through, through, the, through this for a future weight of glory that would far outweigh any of his difficulties. So that was number one, that God has displayed his power in Jesus. And if you look back at that, his broken body, his shed blood for you, it will inform how you relate to the sufferings that you go through now as a follower of Jesus. That's one reason why the Lord's Supper takes us back. We look back at what God did in Christ knowing that that affects how we view life today. Then the second thing I notice, and this starts actually in verse 13, and here's the point in verse 13. God multiplies His grace through people. God multiplies His grace through people so that others may also experience the joy of knowing and glorifying God for the great things He has done. I get this from verse 13. We believe, therefore we speak, and we sing, and we preach, and we tell. I believe, therefore I spoke. This is the history of God's people. We speak what overflows our heart, and we speak from faith, and it overflows in our lives. Because we know something. What do we know? Verse 14. We know that the one who raised Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, and will present us with you. So Paul's saying God has a plan. And the trajectory of that plan is shown in what he's already done. If if God raised Jesus from the dead, then, then we are tethered to him and we are united to him and we are bound and anchored to him. If God raised Jesus, then those who are with Jesus are going to be raised up also. And Jesus repeated this over and over to encourage his disciples when they were anxious and fearful, and insecure, and frustrated. Jesus said, because I live, you too shall live. His victory was going to be our victory as well. So Paul says that's why we speak and live the gospel. It's because we have this certainty in an uncertain world. We have this security in an insecure world. But if the statistics are true, and I hate quoting negative statistics. I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to do it. George Barna did a study on spirituality in America. And in a year's span of time, it's estimated that about 20% of people have no spiritual com- had no spiritual conversations at all last year. None. That means God doesn't come up. That means eternal life doesn't come up. That means heaven doesn't come up. No spiritual discussions whatsoever. 
I don't know what they're talking about, but I got a feeling it's things like SEC football, okay? <laughs> you know, the things that I talk about at times, or money, or politics, or you name it. 7% of people regularly have spiritual discussions. But here's, here's what I found disturbing, if these statistics are true. You know, everything you see on the Internet is true. No, okay, no. But I do trust Barna and his research organization, um, very well-known, well-respected. 13% of church members, only 13% of church members discuss their spiritual life regularly. Only 13% are talking about Jesus, talking about God, talking about spiritual things, talking about their growth, and so forth and so on. Now, I want to share something very positive. This week at Glenlock, we had two huge events that reached hundreds of people. Tuesday night, we had our year-end soccer celebration, and I want to thank God for the workers in this church who come together to make big events like that happen. I'm talking about those of you who cook and prepare and work and plan to make not only what happened Tuesday night at the soccer field happen, but Wednesday night at our fall festival. We have an agenda, and the agenda is ultimately to tell people about Jesus. And so periodically you have special events where the community comes in and you share with them what we already know. And then every single Sunday you're hearing me expound the word telling us who God is and what he's done. And my, my thought is that you will go out and in word and deed share that in your community, where you work, in your home, where you live, touching lives every day, loving people and serving people and ministering to people. And here's why. It's right here in verse 15. Paul says, everything's done for you. He tells the Corinthians this. So that what? Look at verse 15. So that the grace which is spreading to more and more people, more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. What's he saying? That grace should be multiplying in our lives. And we should be giving thanks to God for our lives so that other people could be involved and engaged and get to know who God is and what he's done. So God's plan is for grace to be spreading to more and more people through my life and your life so that others can know and share and experience him together. Just think about it. When we experience good things, our desire is to share that with others because we're created in the image of God. We're created to share life and experiences together. The social media is a wonderful avenue for this. Look at what I did this week. Look at what I saw this week. And so Billy Vaughn texted me yesterday, Go dogs! We beat Kentucky! <laughs> Sorry, Bryson. Bryson's like, wait till basketball. and <laughs> We won't say anything. But just by nature, our desire is when something wonderful happens, we want to share that. We want to we participate not just selfishly in that, but because we're relational-driven, we, we like to share experiences and joy with our family and our friends and our community. 
We're not to selfishly hoard grace. But what did Jesus say here? Take this and share it among yourselves. That's what he said to his disciples when he broke the body and he poured the cup. Symbolically, he did that so that we would know what God desires is to multiply grace. And that takes place in a calendar year in a thousand different ways. And that's why Paul says we do all things for the sake of Christ and the gospel because we have this treasure in us and it's not to be hoarded selfishly, it is to abound. That's why we have the the Great Commission and all the multiplying texts in the Bible. It's to share the grace of God so that Thanksgiving, and we're in November, so that Thanksgiving could abound to the glory of God so that everyone would have a reason to thank God. God multiplies His grace through people so that others may experience the joy of knowing and glorifying Him for the great things He's done. Then the last part of this is in 16 through 18. And this basically is our future. God has promised a glorious future to us that is far beyond all comparison. God has given us in Christ, in the gospel, in scripture, great and precious promises. We have a new lens through which to view our future. Therefore, we don't lose heart. You keep your eyes on the prize and you're encouraged daily because you know not only what God has done in the past, do this in remembrance of me, Not only what God is doing in the present, multiplying His grace through people like you and me, fragile, uh, whatever, vessels that we are to others, but in the future, He has laid up for us an incomparable reward. So here's our confession. Though outwardly we waste away, outwardly we are decaying, in spite of our efforts to prevent this from showing. Outwardly, we are wasting away. Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. Outwardly, you may see this earthen vessel worn down and worn out. (laughs) But inwardly, there ought to be, through the work of the Spirit, an increasing love, increasing joy, increasing peace, increasing patience, kindness, and goodness, Because we know that our affliction currently is light and it's momentary and it is productive. Look at verse 17. Have you ever thought of your afflictions as being productive? Someone said, in shunning trials we miss blessings. Not just current blessings, but but future blessings. Paul says in verse 17, affliction produces for us an eternal weight of glory that's far beyond everything else. Therefore, by faith we look not at what is seen, not at what is temporal, but what is unseen and eternal because that's far more valuable. Your afflictions are productive. Not just now, but also in the future. I really believe that your current mood, your current emotions, your current state is directly tied to what you believe about your future. What you believe is coming in the days and weeks and years to come. And every single day you and I face the weight 
of sin. We face the weight of life. We face the weight of death. I did a funeral yesterday afternoon. And I could tell just by the, by, by the emotions and the state of the, the feel of the room that all of us felt the weight of death upon us and upon life. But you preach the gospel and the future glory to come because of the weight of glory. And that it far surpasses anything that we go through in life. So here's what we do in conclusion. Everybody perks up. Because you know the Lord's Supper is to come. We need to gaze upon the glory of God and of Christ in His Word. The Bible speaks to this, that when we go to the Word and gaze here... We see the glory of God, and His light shines in our hearts, and then we begin to shine with His glory. As we see and behold and hear and believe the promises of God, it encourages us and strengthens us for our journey of discipleship because we know that this eternal weight of glory has been purchased and secured by Christ so that He says, You will one day be with me where I am, that that you may behold my glory. Paul says, our citizenship is in heaven. And one day, the body of our humble state will be put into conformity with the body of his glory. Our bodies, though now they're fading away, one day they're going to be as glorious as his resurrection body. Not only that, but we look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. We shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So you go to the Word. And you read the promises, you hear the promises, you believe the promises. They encourage your heart through the power of the Holy Spirit. And you become, in your heart and life, like a lamp shining in a dark place. Because the day is dawn and the morning star arises in your hearts. And you think, I'm going to one day receive from God the praise and love that Jesus himself had. That will be glory. One day we will shine with the light and the glory and the beauty with which Jesus shines. And that will be glory. Not only in his word, but in what we are about to partake of, we behold his glory. When we take the Lord's Supper, there is a future element here. Because to his disciples, he said to them, One day you will celebrate this supper with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Jesus gave a future dimension to the Lord's Supper in that one day we will again have this with those who have gone before us in the Messianic kingdom. So the Lord's Supper takes me not only back to the cross, not only does it take me to the the current state of life, and the sufferings and difficulties we have as we share this together. But it, 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 it anticipates the future glory that is to come. That his but, but blood and his body purchased on our behalf. Because I'm about to serve these elements and our deacons are about to serve these symbolic elements. Through this we look back. Through this we look around. We are not alone. We're on this journey of discipleship together in corporate community. We look within and we examine ourselves for these things, for the gift of faith and the presence of love, and we look ahead to the new kingdom in which we will celebrate this together with the resurrected and glorified Christ. All of our senses are involved. You've heard me preach the good news. 
you will feel and touch the bread in the cup. You will taste the bread and the juice that's in the cup, and you will smell and you will see corporately together in worship the glory of Jesus and the glory of the cross. Now let's pray as we do this together that God would shine in our hearts to encourage us this morning with the good news of the gospel and the treasure that he is. Father, thank you this morning for what you've given us in your word and in yourself and in this ordinance. Because I think I'm not alone in how forgetful I can be. I focus so often on what is temporary and temporal, humanistic and man-centered and me-centered, rather than what is eternal and priceless and valuable. Thank you that our relationship with you is based on the sufficiency of the finished work of Jesus Christ and his atonement and his substitution on our behalf. That while we were sinners, Christ died for us in our place as a vicarious offering. But not only did he die in our place, but he was raised also for our justification. So now we know, Father, you're just. You're holy. And we should trust you and lean upon you and, and not rely solely on ourselves, but to trust in you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Thank you that we will do this together, for we are not alone. We're part of a, a family, a community, a church, a, a sheepfold. And we're here to encourage one another and edify one another and serve one another. That just as we are alike in our sinfulness, we are also alike in our righteousness because it's not based on us, but it's based on Christ. And that's why we do this together corporately. There's so much more that's here, Father. I just want to thank you for who you are and what you've done for each one of us and for the joy and the gratitude we feel as we celebrate you in a way that you've commanded us to, to remember you through this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask our deacons if they'll come forward now. We're going to serve communion together, first the bread and then the cup. I'll read a passage of Scripture. I will lead us in all partaking together. I think symbolically those are important things for us to do. Um, if you get skipped by, by, for some reason and you know in the passing, please raise your hand and, and we'll bring you both the bread and the cup. Remember, Jesus said, this is my body which is for you. This is my blood which is shed for you. I'm going to ask Jerry Prince if he would lead us in prayer as we prepare our hearts for communion. Jerry, would you?
Amen. Thank you. Notice that this is something we receive, but it's also something that, that we share. In verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And they did eat. Amen. In the same way he took the cup also.
Amen. As I read this, I'm thinking the eternal weight of glory comprises all the promises of God go into that. And they are his covenant promises to us, his children. So when Jesus took that cup, this is what he said. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And they did drink. And then here is our future anticipated by this meal. In verse 26, as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we continue to do this until he comes. And he is coming again. Let's stand as we sing our hymn of invitation. Come as we see.
seated. We'll take our offering. Just a quick uh, reminder. Many of you know this is dear to my heart. Veterans Day is coming up. I want us to remember all of the veterans, all those who are on active duty, who are on foreign soil, and their families. Remember them in your prayers this week. We have two events on Saturday reason I want to make this announcement. We have one at 10 o'clock at uh, Central Hatchie at their recreation field where they have a monument for veterans. And we also have one at 1.30. Uh, it's at the Old Rec Gym down by the river where the, where the 4-H Center is. And all veterans and families are invited to attend this. It's open, both are open to the public, and if you would like to attend, please do so to honor our veterans. Let us pray. Father, we just thank you for your word today. It just comes coat so dear to our hearts to be able to gather and hear your word. And just let us every day share your word with someone. Father, you never know what words that we may say that will open their minds and open their hearts and it will bring a blessing to them. Now you, you have blessed us in different ways, Father, and we know that we're return, we are to return a portion of that to continue your, your work. And Father, we have just asked now that you open our hearts and you open our minds and let us continue to give back to you a portion of what you have given to us. Just asking in your precious name, amen.
Let's stand for our benediction. We will sing the doxology this morning. Don't forget, Tuesday, prayerfully uh, vote. One of the rights that the veterans secure for us in this country is the right to vote. I encourage you to pray and vote. Proverbs 14, 34. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Thanks be to God for his truth. Catherine, will you please lead us in our doxology?